Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So today we are going to continue to look through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've come up to chapter 8, verse 1. Now, considering food is sacrifice to idols, that one almost seems like it is something that has nothing to do with life today. But as we dive into this one, we'll find out that, in fact, this one has a lot to do with life today, running off a principle that we've expounded upon in many of the sermons in this series, which is that food and appetite makes a teaching very translatable from one appetite to another. So let's just dive in, and as we go through Paul's teaching, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but also much of chapter 10 to keep with the chunk of teaching and keep everything unified. So hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. So Paul continues with his core theme on unity for the church in Corinth and what is expedient to it. And that is that this church, which loves philosophy and loves to seem smart, hasn't quite caught on that knowing stuff tends to lead to pride. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowledge in and of itself. And sometimes it's very fun when you are around young children to hear about something which they have just learned. One of their favorite things is to show off how much they now know upon the subject. But the problem is that seemingly innocent attitude very often comes back up in adults. And instead of being the joyful sharing of children, it tends to be tainted by adult feelings of superiority and such. And Paul just contrasts the fact that knowledge has this puffing up quality to it with love, where love builds up versus puffing up. So in knowledge, we tend to increase ourselves where in love, in its ideal setting, it should increase the other. And Paul's just going to set down the general principle here that we are going to get at through today's message. Verse 4. Hence, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So Paul sets up two general principles that will guide this whole conversation. The first one is God is one. He is the Father who has sent his son to die, and he is the God confessed by the whole church. Yet in this same passage, Paul points out that the world is full of idols. Now, for many of you living in New England or just the United States in general, the idea of the world being full of idols is not really something you run into. 
but I can assure you for our Christian brothers and sisters in places like Calcutta or just any exotic locale you can think of, idols tend to be pretty in your face and all over the place, especially where Christianity is a minority religion. But while we can take that literally, we also must remember ourselves that here, even in North America, the figurative take on idolatry is very much well and alive in our culture. You just have to go driving out on the road to see idols of wealth in the cars that pass you by, idols to inappropriate entertainment in the types of shops that you find in the bad neighborhood. Well, we do not live with statues of Ganoush like our Indian brothers and sisters do. We very much live in a world full of idols to the same subjects. Now, verse 7. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as being offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us closer to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So Paul points out that one of the struggles that's going on in Corinth, and you have to remember this is the first generation of church. These people had just, they'd grown up worshiping Diana and Aphrodite and Bacchus, and there was a huge temple with all sorts of sexual immorality going on in it. And as we went in a couple chapters ago, people in the Corinthian church were still going and visiting the temple prostitutes. So there was a lot of tender conscience and trying to discover what, what was uniquely Christian and, and what parts of the Greek identity they could still hold on to going on in this church. And I think here for us to, to not get stuck in the first century and put it in the second century, I mean, 21st, 22nd now, is we need to replace food with just any basic drive or any appetite that comes from us to really get what's going on here. And I think if we expand beyond food, you'll find the same kind of things. Uh, it's not everyone who has this knowledge. Some have been so accustomed to idols until now. Well, think if we put that into the realm of entertainment or the realm of alcoholic drink or anything that can take control of a person's life and there do questions do come up of how us who have an established identity in Christ can help those who are establishing a new identity in Christ. And our next part's going to get into how we should be careful about that very example we give with verse nine. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols. So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their failing, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. So this passage reminds us that we should be very careful with the moral example that we give. 
Now, this reminds me of the old joke from when I was a kid, what's the difference between Baptists and Presbyterians? Well, the Presbyterians say hello to each other in the liquor store. But Paul is more pointing out it, it's not that level we should be concerned of. It's the level of should we even be going into the store in the first point? Now, we may think to ourselves, well, we're not teetlers. It's not 1920 with prohibition. But what if, say, you had a Christian brother or sister who was weak to drink, had a history of alcoholism, or just had the opinion that such was evil? Would you want to give the offense? And this just kind of has the whole point of, well, I know. Now we're going to change chapters and we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 10, 14 where the question becomes, well, do you know? So therefore, my dear friends, chapter 10, verse 14, flee from the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of cupping of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What do I imply then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So do you know? Now, this gets to a point where Paul draws a line and he minces no words. So far, we've been talking about how idols really don't mean anything but there's weak consciences, and if they see Christians going to the meat market in the first century where a lot of things were sacrificed, the people with weak consciousness, with a weak sense of faith who've been growing up with idols won't be able to make the distinction. But here Paul is going to pull that a little bit back and say, for us Christians who think that we are wise and we are making the distinction, how much are we really? Because there is a cost of compromise here. How often do we who come to church, we break bread, we take communion, how often do we go from that back to a Monday through Saturday type of living where we condone all sorts of evil and we do not give a good witness and this sense of drinking the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons and the way that we really act or interact economically or anything like that really comes to the fore. So Paul here says, you know, this isn't just an abstract thing. This is a decision that we have to make every day. And Paul gives us some application in Verse 10, 23 through 33, the end of our readings for today. Now all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am in Christ. The key point there is the whatever you do. And Paul is just pointing out that there comes on this food issue, the times where where we who have knowledge, because let's face it, you probably don't even recognize it. And I don't want to give you scruples by pointing it out. Once you walk into a Chinese food shop, they tend to have the little Buddha with the with the bananas and the coins. That is a religious symbolism. Most Americans just walk right by it and don't know it's there. But say you had a friend who came from one of those countries and saw that and had a moral issue. Paul is saying in that situation, go to another restaurant. I can also think of times where it gets very fine line. One experience I had in my own life that dealt with this issue was I worked for a company in Menlo Park in the Bay Area that served halal food. And one of the reasons they did that was their own political opinions on things. And well, I don't want to get into it too much because it's not today's topic. There was conflict between the Christians who came from the second and third world countries and had experienced persecution and the company doing this and that company's message as well didn't sit well with me. Needless to say, because of the sake of conscience and the debates that were there, I didn't eat the food. But I think beyond food, Paul just gets us to this verse 31. Whatever you do. So the basic principle here to get to application is Christians need to be very careful about appearances and the example that they set. Basic, and because he's been going against knowledge and it puffing up, this is the Bible's answer and firm rejection to, well, I know I can do it. That is no excuse. And I think this would answer a great many problems in the church today. We have a lot of political issues that have been coming up lately. And, well, I do not want to go after any single person's convictions on that issue. There are a lot of times that you may know, but the other person may not. And how many times have we puffed up ourselves on our political positions, no matter how right or wrong, instead of loving one another and building each other up? But I would go even further and say the unity of the church would be greatly improved by such teachings. Because let's say, just for the sake of argument, that you are a heretic 
and you may feel that you have the liberty to do whatever action you feel that you are called to do. Well, us, your brothers and sisters who are biblical Christians, are bound by a conscience that won't allow us to violate whatever commandment it is you are. For the sake of church unity and yourself, if you took this application of Paul, that you should concern yourself with other people having weak consciences, you, Mr. Heretic, would not do said action. So it gets into just the way that we are to interact and dwell with one another. And I just have to ask, what would change if we acted this principle out? It's talking about food and idols and things that we don't experience in our world, but I think there's a couple guidelines in here that just would really aid the church in its witness. First being, idols, evil, however you want to word it, it's everywhere. And it's it's in food, it, it's in gasoline production. If you go through the economy, you can find all sorts of bad players. There's the point where we just, like the Christians in this passage, don't ask at the meat market where it came from. But that being said, for a great many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also just people out in the world, those things that we don't ask about, those idols, that power is still there. We can't just act like it doesn't exist at all. So there needs to be a point where we as Christians take steps into these areas that privately we may not, but as an institution, as a body, we should. Second, I think it's, it's important that we look and get in a mindset that we will forego in situations where such is directly called out. You just should make up in your mind that if you ever go over to a friend's house and he whips out the, the baked ham and says this was sacrificed to, I don't know, Apollo, that for the sake of your friend and yourself, no thank you. I'll just uh, have some of the salad. That attitude should approach, should move over into a great many other things we do in our lives. So say this money, well, this money was sacrificed and AKA stolen. So would you like some of it? We, we, we see this ethic in work and I know we can expand it, we just don't often like to. But I think it's important because my third point with that is if we want to build up the body, we want that love that builds things up, that witnesses, we must apply this generally and across the board. Because I think this just gets finally to the Christian view of rights. The view of rights, not the bill of rights. The world's view is that it fights to establish rights within individuals. You have rights, give me my rights, you can't take my rights. It's very much grounding them in the power of self. And as we are seeing throughout our culture, it's something that, well, I have a right to, to be liked. I have a right to acceptance. I have a right to build myself up. Gone is that we believe there's unalienable rights endowed by a creator. No, the world's view is it's the self that has the rights. It's the self that gives the rights. It's the self that takes the rights. Contrasting that, and what Paul's getting at today, because these Corinthians were saying, well, we have the right to eat whatever we want. I have a right to eat it, whether it offends you or not. It's just food, buddy. You get over it. 
Contrasting that, we have the biblical view, where when it's not a matter of conscience, so we're not giving you permission to sin because I won't be offended if you don't sin, but there's a willingness, like regarding food, drink, activities, entertainments, to forego rights, just like Jesus, who had all the rights of God, but laid them down, giving us the example of what we should do. But the biblical view of rights very much also puts the power of them with God and with what he is doing. And so where the world's view of rights is, I, 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 I demand acceptance, the biblical view of the world is God, 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 and I'm willing to be rejected so much as it's still God. Because it gets to the ultimate ends, which is where we'll end today. What we eat, what we establish or do as humans doesn't last. The, the passage in here is, food does not save our souls. What we eat or drink or what movies we watch is not going to be salvific. And if you were to just give loose to your appetites and your desire for affirmation and, and throw it all out there, getting everything you desire, we know at the end of the day, won't save you. In fact, nine times out of 10, it won't even make you happy. And it's the same thing with popularity and all that. No matter how popular you are, it's not going to make you a better person or anything. Nine times out of 10, it makes you worse. We must reject the idea that God is some magical pair of dragon balls that you get to make a wish and he gives you everything you want. No, what, what is being pushed through this whole book of 1 Corinthians is that what God does is established forever and deals with forever issues. So while we have to deal with the worldly things of what do I eat for dinner today, most of us have forgotten what we've eaten for dinner 367 days ago. It gets to the real big question, and the answer to that question in Scripture is always obedience. Cross. That is what sanctifies us. But even more than that, obedience, cross, is what saves others. Obedience to conscience to what God has called us to do in our lives will give the proper witness and building up to those Christians that are around us. And it will build us up too by getting us up, up, out of, of inside ourselves. Because the truth of this matter is, is these Corinthians were going to be different then. They weren't going to be able to go and hang out at the regular Corinthian party where they had all the nice, you know, Roman statues and wine pouring and everything else, they were going to get to a point where they had to say, well, you know, I drink the cup of Jesus. I can't drink that cup of demon. They're going to have to be different. We don't like to be different. If you watch car commercials, the, the big luxury car, the whole point of it is, is you can buy a Mercedes that looks almost exactly like a Honda. So you can be exactly the same as everyone else, but yours is just a little bit better. We don't like being different, but Paul's saying you're going to have to be different. But there's a wonderful side to that. Because if you're different, things might actually change. If you're uncomfortable, well then you're probably doing a dance step that's new. If it feels risky, 
That's because it's got some sort of reward. And when it comes to following Christ, that reward is eternal life. These Corinthians were called to live out the kingdom in a world that was saturated with what literally was pagan, because pagan means the Roman folk religion. They were living in a pagan world, and they were called to be a witness to it. And they had transformed it massively because we're all standing here today. But that started by being willing to be different, by handling these issues of, well, I don't know where this food is coming from. I'm living in a culture that doesn't accept my own. And as our culture changes and Christianity is not accepted as easily as it used to be, we shall have to make these decisions again. And while some may lament the fact that there will be growing pains, it might not be popular. We might get into questions of rights to freedom of religion and freedom of expression. We know that the power and the true witness and the glory come from God. Let us pray.